Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. You probably think that I'm going to begin with an update on Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, again, doing Antonio Brown things, coming off the rails and having himself a day. You probably thought that that's where you'd want to start or where I would start. But in reality, I'm going to start where I want to start. Not where I should start, but where I want to start. Why don't we start with the NBA? Why don't we start with an NBA legend? An NBA legend back on the floor in Indiana for the first time in quite some time. And no, I am not talking about Kyrie Irving. Yes, he was back as a part-time player with the Nets. And that is what it is. And I do love seeing the great competitors do what they do best. But it's really hard to get all hyped about Kyrie and that circus returning. And no, I've got no idea why ESPN kept giving updates on Kyrie Irving's performance other than the worldwide leader had nothing better to do or they had no idea what the hell they were doing or both. But I'm here to tell you, they were focused on the wrong guy, the wrong story, and the wrong legend. This was not about the return of Kyrie. This was about something much bigger, much more dramatic, something that damn near transcended the sport itself. This was not about Kyrie. This was about the return of one Lance Stevenson Jr., a.k.a. Born Ready. Now, look, there might be better nicknames than Born Ready, But nobody has ever lived up to their nickname better than Born Ready did last night. Lance Stevenson had not played a game in Indiana since 2018. He was out of the league for two years. But just because he was gone does not mean he was forgotten. We still had that iconic video of him blowing in LeBron's ear in the 2014 playoffs. Must have been doing the same thing when LeBron was making Space Jam 2. Worst movie ever. That probably would explain why that went so badly. I mean, honestly, (laughs) it was one of the more bizarre moments ever when Lance first started blowing into Bron's ear. But he did explain it pretty simply. And when he did, it made sense. Quote, I was really trying to get him mad. Like, really trying to win the game. Get him unfocused. And I was trying anything. Man, my man must have been there through the entire filming. Writing, filming, editing, directing, and producing Space Jam 2. How else could you explain such a lame-ass movie? Anyway, there's more. How about that now legendary gif of Charlotte Hornet Lance Stevenson popping up out of nowhere to video bomb Derek Fisher? But for a while now, that's all we had of Born Ready until last night. I mean, sure, he had a cup of coffee with the Hawks earlier this season, but last night he was back where he belonged, doing what he does. (laughs) This is amazing. A few weeks back, this guy was playing pickup ball in Indy. Last night, he was playing actual NBA ball in Indy. He came off the bench in the first quarter, and he entered to a standing ovation. Then he proceeded to burn that arena to the ground. 
If you were wondering how long it would take for him to impact that game, the answer was mere seconds. He had been on the floor for barely a minute when he brought the ball up the court and he pulled up from deep. Stevenson for three. And he strums his guitar right away. Had not made a three in his previous two games. And that's what the people remember from his previous two stints. He will strum the guitar. What a bleeping legend. The crowd was hyped the second he started up the floor and then completely lost their collective minds when he knocked in that three. Rattling in that three and then going Jimi Hendrix with his guitar while getting back on defense. Hell yes, Lance. Lance Stevenson knocking in threes, playing his guitar, and baiting opponents into a tee. What a freaking year is this anyway how do they not stop the game right then and there and retire his number on the spot and erect a statue for him outside right on the spot instantly I found myself being ripped back pulled back it was 2014 all over again I was bumping pitbull's timber on my iphone 4s going on fandango Fandango.com to buy tickets for The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. I mean, there's being in the zone, and then there's Lance Stevenson last night. Stevenson in the corner for three. Count it again! <laughs> I mean, you can't even do anything but laugh. He's got the entire bench up. How good was this guy feeling? So good that he could dribble out the clock at the end of the first quarter and then bury this dagger. Final 10 seconds of the quarter. Stevenson on the wing. Let's it fly for three. Got it! <laughs> you can't ask for a better debut than that. I don't care what you expected. You can't ask for more than that. A 20-point first quarter for Lance Stevenson. Pacers TV, you heard that correctly. When the smoke cleared and all the guitar solos had ended, my dude had 20 in the first quarter, 20 off the bench in a quarter, the first player in NBA history to go for 20 in the first quarter off the bench. (laughs) I mean, wait, hold up. I'm sorry. Did I say 20 in a quarter? Because that's crazy. You know what's even more crazy? Stevenson had 20 straight points. All of those buckets came in succession. He was 8 of 9 from the field, 4 of 5 from deep. From the moment he entered that game, the Pacers' offense was get the ball to Lance, get the hell out of the way. I mean, there have been guys who have been microwaves because they get hot quickly coming off the bench. But Stevenson is next level. This dude is a nuclear bomb coming off the bench. And it was against Brooklyn. And they were powerless to stop him. The alleged Eastern Conference favorites could not do a damn thing to stop Lance. Not if their lives depended on it. Brooklyn starts three future Hall of Famers. And Lance Stevenson was the best player on the floor last night. Yeah, I said it. 20 points is his career high for a quarter, and or for a half, I should say. And he did it in a quarter 
off the bench after barely playing an NBA game for two years. If it sounds like I'm hyped, it's because I am hyped. It was amazing. And, of course, he was on the mic at halftime. Fans could not wait to greet you at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. No one could have expected what they saw. Could you put that first quarter into words? Man, it's all gone. I've been uh, just working out two years, just waiting for this moment. And so happy to be is at home. And uh, I'm just happy we're playing hard, we're playing together, playing the right way, and making the right passes. I'll ask you some more questions after the game if we're given the opportunity. So how do you make sure you finish this memory off with a win? Uh, just keep playing hard, playing defense. Uh, we're playing great basketball right now. We just got to keep it up and just uh, make shots. Welcome back. Uh, thank you, thank you. Lance! 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 And he wasn't done either. He was back. He was back in the second half, picking up right where he left off. Step back against Aldridge. <laughs> Because that was a tough shot. In his first game back, he has matched his Pacers career high of 28. Lance! I mean, the reaction also is perfect. All you can do is laugh. At that point, all you can do is laugh. But Born Ready was still ready. Now you're talking about two guys, Sykes and Washington, combined now have played in 12 NBA games. Stevenson has 30. Really good late cut. Lance! Lance! 30. A career-high 30. This guy was playing pickup ball a couple of weeks back, and he just went for a career-high last night in the association. He just dropped 30 points, five boards, three assists, and did so in 32 minutes. An absolute legend. I mean, there's just something about that connection between Lance Stevenson and Indiana that is just magical. Magical, but don't take my word for it. As soon as I put that jersey on, I feel like I just get my powers. I don't know what it is. Every time I put that jersey on, man, just I just feel comfortable. And, you know, when you're playing in front of people that is happy for you to play and telling you, egging you on, and it just it makes the game more easier. Let me say this, and I'll be real. It's been a pretty terrible year for the Pacers. They're 14-25. and 25. They're hanging in 13th place in the East. They are rolling towards the lottery. They're thinking about moving their best players. So it's been a bad year. It has. It's been a bad year. But last night was a good night. Last night was one of the best nights. And I don't even care that they lost. I do not care that they lost because that was a win for the rest of us. For a moment last night, it was 2014 all over again. Lance draining threes. If you wished hard enough or you squinted hard enough, You could see Paul George running the break. George Hill hitting cutters. David West cleaning the glass. The man, Roy Hibbert, being a force in the paint. Danny Granger designing that real-life bat cave that I used to ask him about all the time. UC Santa Barbara stud Orlando Johnson giving quality minutes off the bench. So Lance is on a 10-dayer. 10-dayer, 10-day contract. They should do the right thing and make that a 10-year contract. Stat, listen, I'm not saying that Lance Stevenson is going to turn their season around, but I am telling you that was one of the best things I've seen in the association in a long, long time. I loved every second of it. And finally, before I go to break, when most people think Pacers, what do they think of? They immediately go with 
Reggie Miller or the Duncan Dutchman, Rick Schmitz, or maybe my guy Jermaine O'Neal, maybe even the Rifleman. Love the Rifleman. You at, hmm, you ask me though, it's born freaking ready. Lance! Who cares if the Hornets signing Lance for three years and Lance playing barely one year was one of the worst signings in team history? I don't give a damn about that. The fact is, Lance is bigger than the Hornets. Lance is bigger than probably half the teams in the NBA. Yeah, the whole thing about no one guy is bigger than the team, bullcrap. People have been really down on this current NBA season, and Lance may have single-handedly saved it himself. Appreciate the legend while we have him, because we might be down in nine days. No chance. Not playing the way he did. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cash back match, for instance. Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. He is Ricky Williams. Ricky, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. My man, beautiful. It's been a minute or two, so what's going on? How are you? How is your life right now? It's great. It's great. I mean, I I heard you in the intro mention I was an entrepreneur, and anyone who really knows what that means knows that it's exciting, stressful, but uh, it's, it's great. I'm loving it. Well, why don't we start right there? So what does that mean? What is that like, and why is that so stressful? Well, because the idea of an entrepreneur is you're taking some idea that's in your head, some vision, and you're having to put together a team to make that vision a reality. And the things about the vision in our head, part of it is convincing other people that it's, it's valid. And I think you can relate someone else who's been ahead of their time is that sometimes it takes time for people to catch up. And so it's this constant grind of selling the vision and then putting together the team to actually make it real. Extremely well said. Ricky Williams is my guest. My man, you were way ahead of your time. Way, you were way more ahead of your time than I was ahead of my time. But I want to ask you one thing about being a CEO, because you had an interview with Sports Illustrated that I thought was really interesting. And you talked about the fact that initially you kind of resisted being a CEO. So how did you decide to approach that role to make sure that you're going to lead in a way that feels comfortable to you and is completely authentic to you? Oh, well, well said. You know, a, a big part of it was reviewing because my experience, because anything we do, we're always bringing our experience from the past into it. So my experience around quote unquote CEOs was really about around head coaches. And and so I just have taken a lot of the, the lessons and the philosophies that I picked up about leadership and uh, trying to bring it into to what I'm doing. And the greatest challenge is, and I've so identified with being the, the talent or being the, the, the person on the field being told what to do, it's a shift of mindset to being the leader telling people what to do. We're talking to Ricky Williams, entrepreneur and former NFLer. You know, so Rick, when I talk about you being ahead of your time, over the past few years, there's been so many more open conversations about mental health in sports and in society in general. It feels to me like you were on the forefront of that in football long before it was accepted or even talked about. What was that like for you at that time? And then what are your thoughts of where that conversation is currently? Well, you know, at the time, I didn't, I didn't see myself as, as being a pioneer. I was really someone like wrestling with my own mental health questions. And, 
you know, it became like a, a challenge for me. And so back, you know, at that time, it felt it was like a, a big release. And it, it felt like I can get this off my chest more the more that I can talk about it. And it's not something that I have to keep inside. And that was just my experience. And, and so it's great to see that people are, are, you know, learning those same things is that if we keep things inside, we can't do anything about it. If we have the courage to, to share our vulnerabilities, then we can actually, you know, do something about it. And so I'm so glad to see that this idea of the tough athlete is starting to crumble and realizing that true toughness requires some vulnerability. Exactly. Ricky Williams is joining us. You were also way ahead of the sports world when it came to cannabis, and now you have numerous states which have legalized marijuana for all uses, even more have legalized it for medicinal use. Sports leagues have relaxed their restrictions as well. What do you make of where that is right now and what the future holds for it, too? I think, I think you know, the, the conversation we just finished and this conversation are, are linked. I mean, they, at least they were linked for me. And when I started using cannabis, it started, started to help me soften and, and be more reflective and, and, and look at my life from a different perspective. And I think in general, people are starting to realize that, you know, quote unquote, being high is not always a bad thing. You know, that sometimes we need to, to relax and, and take a wider perspective and be more introspective and understand ourselves on a deeper level. And I think that's the definition of mental health is, is what is my relationship like with my with my inner world? And, and I, the way, at least the way that I envision people using cannabis and the way I used it is to help me understand who I am better. Ricky Williams joining us. You know, Ricky, you strike me and frankly, you are extremely humble. And I don't think you're running on any kind of bitterness or any kind of vitriol, anything like that, that negative stuff. So the reason I bring this up, when we talk about mental health or we talk about marijuana and the fact that you were so far out in front of this and you understood certain things before others did, is there any part of you that wants to say, yeah, apology accepted? How do you all like me now? What do you have to say to me now? Is there any of that for you? Well, no, because to me, the, the true apology is that people just are just listening. You know, and I think especially... Because for me, I, I've met so many people, and a lot of them come up to me and they thank me. They say, you know, because you took a stance on cannabis, you know, I experimented and I found that it, it helped. And, and to me, that's the, that's the greatest apology. Is that it, to me, being ahead of your time, it's not so much about getting over being laughed at. It's about, you know, just listen, right? Because the, the, the positive side of being ahead of your time is that people call you a genius because you saw something before they did. We're talking to Ricky Williams. Now, if you had been a Heisman winner and then a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, would your story have been all about football? And if it were only about football, in that way, would that have felt like something of a trap? I would have felt like my life was a failure. I mean, my, my main motivation as a kid to be famous was to have a voice. And the one thing that plagued me when I became famous was I, I didn't feel like I really stood for anything, you know? Because part of climbing to the top is I had to, like, you know, put on a certain act so people would, you know, applaud and I could make it. And so, it, you know, it wasn't until I became the rebel that I actually found something that was like a cause, you know, the meaning to this, to, to the fame, to the yards and the touchdowns and the trophies and all that stuff. And so it feels great. It feels like redemptive that I, I've accomplished my goal is that I've used fame to, 
to get a, a bigger message out into the world. Get a platform. Ricky Williams joining us. So I'm curious, as you look back, do you feel like cannabis made you a better football player or maybe did it provide a balance to your life that made you a better person and then that in turn made you a better football player? You nailed it. You, you nailed it. And, and you know, because my, my vision of a great football player before was give me all the carries, give me all the glory, right? <laughs> And I realized that, yeah, I had a lot of glory, but also my body hurt a lot. And, you know, and my life was out of balance. And when I started using cannabis, I started to, to ask bigger questions and to nurture other parts of myself that gave me more balance. And then as a, I was a better football player, I was more efficient. You know, my body didn't hurt as much. I, I was happier. I was, you know, I was splitting time with Ronnie Brown, who was one of my best friends. And so it was the quality of my life definitely increased. It didn't have any as many yards, as many accolades, but I was much happier. Fascinating. Ricky Williams joining us. And, of course, you're always searching. You're always searching and seeking. And as part of that, you've spent some time researching and studying astrology. You and I have talked about this briefly in the past, but how did that first come to be? And then what have you learned through your studies? Yeah, so kind of the, it's a similar theme. It's, it's, you know, what scared me in my life is certain, certain things. I, I would make choices, right? And then there'd be certain consequences and I would reflect and I'd say like, where did that choice come from? Right. I didn't consciously want to do that. And so I realized there's something going on inside that I don't, I'm not really in touch with. And so that's when I started getting interested in, in yoga and meditation and all these things, because I was curious about what's going on on the inside. And I met this woman who was an astrologer and she talked to me about my astrological chart. And what I realized is, wow, this woman has a lot of insight about what's going on for me on the inside. And I realized that that's what astrology is. It's a map of our inner world, of our urges, of our, of our dreams, of our aspirations, of our hangups. And we, we, can, we can learn about these things through life. You know, <laughs> we bump heads with a certain person and eventually we realize, hey, maybe I need to approach this differently. But if you, if you have a map, you can be proactive in, in working on your stuff and also appreciating what, what you're good at. You know, when I looked at, when she talked to me, the one thing that she pointed out to me that I was not aware of was that, was that I was smart, that I was a philosopher. And I kind of knew those things about me, but in the environment of a football player, they just called me weird. But talking to her was like, oh, so I should be traveling. I should be studying. I should be into all these interesting things. And so it gave me permission to allow me, myself to be myself. Dude, that is such gold. I love that response so much. Ricky, like, how about the first part of that? Maybe help me with this, and this is a much longer conversation, but why do we do things that we know we shouldn't do? Why do we do things that we know are going to make us feel like crap? I mean, maybe we don't always know they will, but very clearly we do things that we know we shouldn't do. Why is that? Well, well I think it's, it's complicated, you know, right. and this is what I've learned. Like, we live in two different worlds. We have an inner life and an inner world. We have an outer life. You know, we have inner wants and desires, but then we have the outer world telling us what those desires should be and how we should fulfill them. And it just creates a lot of conflict. And so I think that it's just, you know, these, these choices are just a manifestation of the conflict. And the great thing about astrology is you can understand that the inner stuff, you can understand the outer stuff, and you can find a way to negotiate. Like, how can I get my needs met in a way that's socially acceptable? But most of us, we don't think that way because we're always thinking that we're doing something wrong. 
Ricky Williams is joining us. You're right. It's a really complicated conversation that I thought that you just kind of made a lot more. It's not as simplistic as that, but that helps quite a bit. Now, let's talk really quickly about Highsmith. How did this first come to be, and what was it that made you want to get involved? Heisman. Heisman, excuse me. Yeah. So H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N. Right. You know, people ask, you know, is this about the trophy? And I say it's not about a trophy. It's about getting high. And... Yeah. And so it, it was during the COVID, you know, during COVID when COVID first hit, you know, a lot of the ways that retired players make money is through uh, memorabilia stuff. And so COVID hit, the current players weren't traveling because the teams and the older guys weren't traveling because they're, they were older and, and more susceptible. And so there was this group of like, you know, retired players that were young and willing to travel. And so I started getting a lot more business signing autographs. And what I found is, people started asking me to sign with cannabis subscriptions. So I signed my name and I'd write, you know, smoke weed every day or puff, puff, run. And, and it was fun, you know, sitting there in a room signing smoke weed every day, 500 times. But I saw that it started to catch fire. And what I realized is it seems like people are really looking for a way to integrate these two things that they love, but they've been taught are separate. And that's sports, you know, achieving and cannabis. And so I realized, wow, there's a, there's a drive for people to be able to do this. And I said, who better to give people this opportunity than, than me because of my story? And so I saw that there was a need for people to have a way to enjoy these two things together. And, and I'm capitalizing on that and, and really creating, we call it a lifestyle brand. And it's a lifestyle brand that allows people to integrate their cannabis use into not only sports, but to all the things they want to achieve in life. Oh, it's so incredible. It's incredible on so many different levels. Again, I want to reiterate, it's Heisman, Heisman, H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N. And you just said it's not about the trophy. It's about getting high, which is an incredible line and really powerful. So there are currently three strains, am I correct? Pre-game, halftime, and post-game. What is each one about? Yeah, so this, this is a is a an example of what we're, what we're doing. And, and again, take, taking every opportunity that we can to combine these two, these two things. And so in the cannabis world, people, you know, they talk about sativas have an effect where they, they get you up, you know, they're more mental. And so it's like to get your mind right. And indicas, they call it, they say indica couch because indicas are heavier and they're more of a, it's a body sensation. Okay. Um, and so as, in sports, you know, people can understand that, you know, before the game is pregame, you got to get your mind right. Okay. And then after the game, in order to be, to be ready to go next week, you got to recover. And so it's a way of, of speaking to, to people who are into sports, who are athletes, who appreciate sports uh, and, and conveying this message that of how to use cannabis. You know, if you're a person like me, I get up in the morning and I love to read. And so, you know, I'll have the, the Jesus uh, Skittlesworth in the morning, you know, our pregame. And at night, you know, when I need to go to sleep or if I'm worried about something and I'm having difficult, difficulty sleeping, go to our cherry rice, you know, the post game to help me get back into the body, relax and, and get some and get some rest. Um, and the other part is the, 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 the convention of naming the strains. You now, we looked at the genetics of the, the cannabis strains and we said, how can we find sports, you know, sports themed names to integrate these two? And, uh, and that's been a fun, creative process. Oh, no, Ricky, these names are amazing. 
These are incredible names. I have great appreciation for that. Leave me with this thought, if you don't mind. So like you said, it's it's about learning about cannabis, and I, I want to learn more. I don't know as much as I'd like to know or I'm going to know, but in my personal situation, as an example, if I don't really drink ever during the week, but come Friday night, I'm going to get myself a martini, or I'm going to get a martini, or maybe even a little more, but frankly, it's not the healthiest way to go about things, and maybe I want to change out or change my routine. If I were to substitute cannabis somehow, some way for that vodka martini, where would I start? What would you advise me to do? So um, you're in Southern California, right? Yes. So there's delivery services if you're not comfortable going to a dispensary, but there's a product out there called CAN, C-A-N-N. And it's a it's a drink. It's it's a healthy drink. It's a low dose of THC. And for people that have a you know part of their ritual is drinking, it's a great way to introduce cannabis and just to see. Right? I relax. You know, you relax drink this way. You know, try relaxing. You know, using THC instead of instead of alcohol and, and you know, seeing the difference. You know, how do you feel? What's and, and experimenting. And I, I tell people experiment, but start at a, at, start easy. You know, and I think for you, can is a, is a great way to start. Dude, I think that's amazing what you just said. Like, you understand there's a ritual to it. You're right. I mean, not only do I like it, but the thing I like most about it is the ritual. I like the ritual. I like the process. But what if I could abandon the ritual? What if I want to smoke something or consume something another way? What's another opportunity? Well, I would say to do that is find someone that you trust and you like to, like, to initiate you into the process. You know, I think... So much of, of altered states is, is and there's been so much research is about set and setting. You know, it's about because there, there should be a purpose to the relaxation, you know, and sometimes we get stressed out because we're worried about the little things. And what this can do is help us let go of the little things and reflect on the larger things. OK, then that puts the little things into perspective. So we wake up in the morning refreshed. My man, Ricky Williams, this is such interesting conversation and information if people listening and this is just the tip of the iceberg if people listening would like to know more about heisman or more about some of the things that you have learned and you are sharing what is the best way for them to get this information and to get closer to you yeah so for for specifically heisman our website heisman.co h-i-g-h-s-m-a-n.co and people that are interested in like stuff that i'm saying personally uh people can actually book time um they give me their birth information and, and start talking about them. So it's a cool experience for people, and they can find me at rickywilliams.life. I love that. He is an entrepreneur, a CEO, an all-pro, a pro bowler. I already ran down the numbers. Ricky Williams. And, Ricky, you and I have done this for a long, long time. I really, really appreciate you. I appreciate that conversation. And so good to get caught up, man. Thank you so much. Uh, you're the man. I mean, I'm not just saying that because of your reputation, but the actual experience of talking to you is it's so wonderful. So thank, thank you for the wonderful question no, and the open-mindedness. Thank you so much for saying so, Ricky. I feel the same way about you. I really do. I think you're a wonderful man. I, I really appreciate the conversation and the relationship. All right? Talk again soon. Yeah. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried, 
Tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Adam Schefter tweeted that the Bucks are releasing Antonio Brown, and then the Bucks released a statement, and a number of you have pointed out that if you listen to and you read that statement carefully, it's carefully worded. They always are. All right, so let me talk about Antonio Brown for a minute in the morning he's had. He's saying that the team's got it all wrong. He's even alleged a cover-up on the part of the team. He says that he was busted up on Sunday with that bad ankle and that that's the reason he did not re-enter the game against the Jets, that he was too busted up to do so. Never mind that, and again, I never visually indict anybody, never mind that he looked perfectly fine, bouncing literally and figuratively off the field on that jacked wheel. Maybe it was adrenaline. Or maybe it was the spike that he says that he felt pressured to take by Bruce Arians. Let me start by saying that given Brown's history, everything that this guy says should be taken with a boulder of salt. A boulder. Not exactly the most credible guy on the planet. But again, I want to say I was not there. I don't know exactly what happened. Here's what he said in a statement. I already read you the team statement. Here's what he said prior to that in a statement. Quote, because of my commitment to the game, I relented to pressure directly from my coach to play injured. Despite the pain, I suited up. The staff injected me with what I now know was a powerful and sometimes dangerous painkiller that the NFLPA has warned against using, and I gave it my all for the team. End of quote. I think it is worth noting that he was willing to take a, quote, powerful and sometimes dangerous painkiller, end quote, but was also busted for a fake vax card. That's pretty rich. Anyway, he goes on to say during the game, quote, I took a seat on the sideline and my coach came up to me very upset and shouted, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I told him it's my ankle, but he knew that. It was well documented, and we had discussed it. He then ordered me to get on the field. I said, Coach, I can't. He didn't call for medical attention. Instead, he shouted at me, You're done, while he ran his finger across his throat. Coach was telling me that if I didn't play hurt, then I was done with the Bucks. End of quote. All right, so that's a pretty bold statement, right? Pretty bold statement. He's effectively accusing Bruce Arians of trying to force him onto the field when he was too injured to play. And that when Brown refused, Arians shouted, you're done, and punctuated it with a throat slash. That's incredible, if it's true. Listen, NFL head coaches are a different breed. Many of them probably do have a tremendous threshold for their players' pain. And Arian is even uncommon amongst the uncommon. Different guy, I mean. And I mean that in a good way. 
I mean that as a compliment. But can you really see this guy making his star receiver play when he knows that he's hurt? A star receiver that he needs badly going forward. Can you see that coach making a star receiver play in a game against a crappy Jets team when he knows he needs him going forward, that they're banged up at wide receiver? And then making him play, even though he's too hurt to play, and then firing him for not doing so mid-game, and then piling on with a throat slash. Do you really think that that's what happened? I'm not saying it didn't. I have no idea. And in fact, I'm not going to lie. Part of me hopes that did happen. Part of me is rooting for that. And that's not me hating on or coming for Mr. Big Chest. I never want to get anybody fired. I never want to take food off anybody's table. But how great would that be if a dude who was professing his love for a star player only a few days earlier up and fired that same player in the middle of a crappy game against the sorry-ass Jets and then punctuated that firing with a throat slash? Incredible if true, which makes me in part hope that it is. However, consider the source. Consider who's alleging it. And of course, that's not all because with AB, there's always more. He wants you all to know he did not quit. He got fired. Quote, I didn't quit. I was cut. I didn't walk away from my brothers. I was thrown out. Being fired on the sideline for having a painful injury was bad enough. Then came their, quote, spin. Coach denied on national television that he knew about my ankle. That's 100% inaccurate. Not only did he know I missed several games with the injury, he and I exchanged texts day before his, or days before the game where he clearly acknowledged my injury, end of quote. Arians, for his part, said after the game that Brown did not tell coaches that he was injured. He reiterated on Monday, quote, I don't know that he was injured. It's pretty obvious what happened. He left the field and that was it. We had a conversation and he left the field. End of quote. I mean, the weird thing about this is everybody around the team knew that Brown was injured. He was a non-participant in practice Thursday and Friday of last week. He was questionable going into the game. So why is anybody saying that they didn't know that he was hurt? Everybody knew he was hurt. But the team would argue, yes, we did know there was an issue, but he was cleared medically to play in the game and did play in the game. And Antonio Brown's story is, I told coach, I'm in too much pain, I can't go in. The team's statement said he did not tell medical personnel about his status. But notice it says nothing about the coach. So who are you going to believe? Where does that leave us? The other part of the story is, not only is that he said, he said, then he went in on Alex Guerrero and on Tom Brady. A TB44. How's that taste? 
If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back and watching live sports. And it doesn't matter what sport you're watching, it's always fun to have a little action. That's why I recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager. From straight bets to parlays, teasers, and any exotic proposition wager that you can dream up. The app is easy to use, and everybody knows Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines. Join in on the action. Download the WinBet app on Google Play or the Apple App Store today and put yourself in the game. Win with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough win bet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Nico Medved is my guest. Nico, it's good to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm great. Appreciate you having me on. It's great to have you on. All right, so you've had a really interesting year already, so let me start right here. You beat the Air Force Academy on Tuesday, and that was the team's first game since December 11th. That's a really long time off in the middle of the season. I'm curious, what do you make of the way your guys showed up after that long layoff? I mean, I was I was proud of them for fighting through it and finding a way to win. We were obviously – you know, a little bit of rust, a little bit of rust. Uh, probably not quite in the game shape we needed to be. Uh, um, I thought Air Force played us really tough, but we, we we found a way to win, and I thought was really important after that layoff. And you know, it's not just not playing since December 11th. You know, we were shut down for a while and not able to do anything on the court. You know, for close to two weeks, and so uh, you know, we had been through that before. I never thought we'd be back here again, but. You know, ultimately, there's nothing like playing games. And so it was great to get back out there and actually play a game and find a way to get a win and, and obviously ready to move on to the next challenge. So, Nico, this is like a really bad analogy, but I went on vacation at the end of the year and I went someplace where my workout routine, which is really not that intense anyway, but it just, <laughs> but, but it is daily. And I'm committed to at least 60 minutes of something every single day. And I just shut it down for like five days and I was totally out of sorts. When you go three weeks between games and two weeks without really doing anything at all, man, that's got to be really challenging. How disruptive was that and what did you do? You know, it is obviously, like I said, the good and bad to it is we did go through it last year, you know, and uh, uh, whether we were on a COVID pause or you're, you're missing games because, you know, other teams are having issues. And I think the biggest thing is you, you try to, you got to work your way back into shape. You just can't go back and go full bore, you know, right when you come back after, you know, close to a two week layoff. And so trying to get those guys in shape, trying to get back to fundamentals and then we tried, you know, for the days when we had everybody back to try to do as much five on five as we could to try to get back in some kind of, of a game rhythm, you know, getting up and down. And, you know, that's that's what we did. And, and uh, that's kind of what we learned from last year. But, hey, I'm the same way, Jim. I mean, I, I had COVID and I like to work out, too, and have my routine. And after kind of being being knocked on your you know what for a few days, you try to come back and, and, and get a workout and you feel like you haven't worked out in years. So it it is a challenge. But we're not alone, man. All these teams in the country, uh, so many of them are going through it right now. And so we just got to fight our way through, and, and we will. So, Nico, how did you personally approach that? Like, if you couldn't really do anything physically, I know that you weren't sitting around doing nothing. What You probably used that opportunity when you had it to somehow better yourself or change. I mean, work on the process, work on the mindset. Exactly what did you do? How did you take advantage of that time? I think, you know, you maybe what's interesting is, you watch a ton of college basketball, you know, sometimes pro when you can, 
And when we were off, it really allowed me, instead of watching just the opponents we were going to play, but just, you know, it's kind of fun to just watch even more games and see what other people are doing. It kind of, we were getting, the one thing that was unique, we had just finished. We knew our non-conference was over. We're getting ready for Mountain West. So kind of allowed me maybe to do a little bit of a deep dive into our team again and self-evaluate and what did we like, uh, um, what can we improve, uh, what can we tweak maybe moving forward, what are going to be the biggest challenges for us in Mountain West play, how are people going to attack us, uh, um, how can we try to overcome that. And so I think we kind of had a lot of time to, to be able to do that and hopefully get better and, uh, you know, make a make the best plan we can moving forward here into the Mountain West. I appreciate that. Nico Medved joining us. He's the head coach at Colorado State. So in terms of your team, you have David Roddy. He had 13 points and 12 rebounds in Tuesday's win. A few years back, he was a three-star recruit out of Minnesota. He had basketball offers from three Big Ten teams. He had a football scholarship offer from Wyoming. He turned down all those opportunities to join you at Colorado State because he said that he saw what was coming. What does it mean that he could committed to you over all those other programs it's it's huge i mean obviously you know this is talent acquisition is is absolutely paramount to being successful and it's not just you know talent acquisition but the right kind of guys who are bought into your team and winning and getting better and i think for david like he said i think he really believed in the vision we had for the program, what we saw in him, how he could develop here, the system we played, and the other guys that he would be surrounded with. And um, he's just such a unique guy for for being able to keep the most important thing to him, the most important thing, and, and to choose this. And it's just really gratifying for him and for all of us to see that what he wanted is starting to, to, to come to fruition. You know, he's becoming the player that we all thought he could be. The team is having success and he's winning and he's getting the attention he deserves. And that's really cool, you know, for us. And hopefully as you're continuing to build the program, other guys see that as well and say, hey, I can I can come to a place like Colorado State and get everything I want. See, I, I love the reminder not only to him or his teammates or to just the players that you have there, but to all of us, man, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. So to your point about Colorado State and other recruits coming, at that time you were coming off a 12-win season. So I'm curious, what was your message to recruits about the program and what you were trying to build there? I think, you know, I had had a little bit of a, of a track record. Obviously, I had been an assistant here before, and – so I, I had seen the program, you know, really, really at, at, at its, one of its highest points and back-to-back NCAA tournaments and the crowd and community support was huge. I had been a head coach at a couple different places and had had some success and, you know, had a style and a system. And so I think, you know, able to, to share those things with, with recruits and him and say, hey, this is how we like to play. This is how I think, you know, you can fit here. Here's how we develop players. Here's the kind of culture we build. Here's the kind of success we can have here at Colorado State. And here's what we have in place. And, you know, I'm about the law of attraction, Jim. You kind of sell who you are. uh, um, You sell your vision. And if you feel like, you know, recruits and their families, they're they're really liking what you're selling. Well, you you, you have a marriage, you know, and we kind of are what we are. And um, I think that not just David, but these other guys, you know, that we recruited have really bought into to that vision. And um, that's why I think these guys play so well together as a team. Now, the fact is, Nico, you don't have kind of a track record of turning things around. You have a great track record and a great reputation for turning things around and have done so everywhere you've been. I'm curious, last season you came just this close 
to reaching the NCAA tournament. What was it like to come as close as you did but just miss? It's it's brutal. I, I think, you know, that experience has played into our success this year where, you know, we, we had a really good year last year. We had, you know, adversity, and uh, um, we finished, you know, maybe a, a game away from making the NCAA tournament. We did go to the, the NIT semifinals. We made a you know, last-second shot at Nevada, prevented us from – you know, having a share of the first Mountain West championship that they've that they've ever won here in the regular season, and um, and then to sit in that room and see your name, you know, being one of the last few left out of the tournament is really painful. But I think what our what our guys did is, first of all, we had confidence, like, hey, we can we can compete at that level. We're we're right there. We have a chance to be really good. We have a chance, you know, we can be that kind of a team. But at the same time, you got to have a chip on your shoulder. We had a good year. We didn't get where we wanted to get to. And I think both of those things, that drive of, of knowing that we haven't achieved what we want and, two, having the confidence that we're right there, we're on the right track, has really got these guys to buy in even more to what we're doing. And so I think you can take confidence from the season we had, but also, man, it's brutal to sit there and, and, and see that you were that close and didn't get it done. And, and I think that's been a big driver for us. That is gut-wrenching. That really is brutal. Nico Medved joining us for a few more moments. So when you have a season like that and you come that close, then maybe you see players who either look to enter the NBA draft or maybe the transfer portal, but that did not happen. So what's it say about the program that you've built something that guys want to come back and they come back more motivated than ever? I mean, I, I, I hope it says a lot. I mean, I think that, you know, when you talk to our players, they'll share that with you. I think they, they really love being here. They love uh, um, the team. They love the culture, you know, that we have. And I think for us, you know, it was just what was great about this off season. there really wasn't any drama. You know, it was guys kind of caught their breath for a little bit, and there was no talk about anything other than let's get back to work, you know, let's get back to work and see how we can improve and and that's just a testimony to these guys and, and uh, um, my, my staff and, and everything that we've got in place, that we've got a really great group of guys and a great culture. And so I think it speaks to that. Uh, um, and, man, it makes my job a lot easier. I know that. So let me ask you, yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you about one more person. I know or I understand that the great Dick Bennett was somebody who had an impact on you. How did you first come into contact with him, and what have been some of your biggest takeaways or what have you learned from him? You know, he – He's a guy I got connected to when I became the head coach at Furman. We had a, a supporter of the program down there who had been friends. They had both uh, grown up in Wisconsin, and he connected me with Coach Bennett. And I called him one day, and I just wanted to see if he'd have a conversation with me or maybe I could fly out and have lunch with him. And next thing you know, you know, uh, he invites me out to his house. I spent a couple days um, at his house uh, um, with him, and we really just developed a really, really close bond. And I'm just flattered that he took such an interest in me as a young coach. And, you know, I, I think more than anything is he just instilled a lot of confidence, uh, um, really taught me a lot about coaching, all the things that go into it. Um, you know, trusting me to believe in myself and do it the way that I wanted to do it. And um, he's built so many great programs uh, from the high school, the small college level, all the way up to Wisconsin. And I think had so much insight into what goes into that. And, and we still talk a good bit today, you know, uh, about things. And he's just been a tremendous mentor for me and, and somebody that I'm really thankful is, is part of my life. I don't think I'd be where I am without his support.
That is an amazing story, a really amazing story. So finally, you've get you had your game on Friday against Boise State postponed. I understand that this is the way the world is right now, and we have to roll with it. And we got to be flexible. But what's it been like leading the team in a season when the schedule changes from day to day, and you never really do know? I guess, like you said, the good and bad to a gym as we did it last year. Right. <laughs> so yeah. These guys, these guys are like, oh my man, here we go again. But. Yeah, I mean, we're we're literally sitting there yesterday morning trying to figure out for sure, are we going to go to Boise, are we not? We're working on playing other games. We were close to potentially scheduling another game in late afternoon uh, because of another COVID pause with Nevada. We do get thrown the curveball, and now we're getting ready to practice, and we head out on the plane tomorrow and go play at Viejas on CBS on Saturday. But, hey, that that's part of it, and these guys love to play and compete, and so, hey, let's just go play. There you go. Fingers crossed. He is the head basketball coach at Colorado State, fourth year there. And again, a big game coming up at San Diego State, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern on CBS. So a big opportunity. Nico Medved, the head coach there. Nico, great to have you on the show. A great jungle debut for you. Appreciate it. Hope we can do it again soon. In fact, I know we will. Jim, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Keon Ellis is my guest. Keon, great to have you on. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good, good to have you. So, good game last night. Let me start right there. You're coming off that win where you trailed by three at halftime. Your head coach, Keon, Nate Oates, said at halftime he challenged everybody to be better, quote, with the blue-collar stuff. What did you make of that message, and then how did you guys approach the second half as a result? Um, just, just knowing that everybody has to, you know, play harder. I mean, we obviously didn't have stuff going our way. We, we weren't shooting the ball as well. We weren't getting a, a lot of stops. But, I mean, for us to even be down three with how things were going, we knew that if we played even harder, like, it would open the game up for us and just make everything easier. And I think our defense clicked off of all us bringing the, our blue-collar mentality to a different uh, standard in the second half. So that just made our defense easier and got us some easy buckets. Keon Ellis joining us. Makes sense. So you go on a run to start the second half, but Florida got back in it. Then with a little under six minutes to go, you had a steal and a reverse dunk to get the lead back to nine. Can you take me through that particular sequence? What did you see, and then how good did it feel to finish like that on the road? Um, um we, I actually remember we we did. We, I think they called a timeout or it may have been a media or something, but we – we definitely locked in on defense. We we started rebounding the ball, pushing it out of transition, um, started getting steals. And uh I knew um Jones had just hit a couple threes, so they were they were going to look for him again and I just jumped the pass and you know, just, just being aware on defense, just making things easier for our offense and uh like I said, you know, when when the defense is getting stops and everything, it just makes the offense easier and just opened up the game for us and took some stress off our offense. You know, let me ask you, because you've mentioned the defense a couple of times. Like, you go back to that one sequence and the fact that you've mentioned the defense a couple of times, you know, it shows you're a great two-way player. Now, with your offensive mm-hmm. game, it would be pretty easy for you to say, you know what, I'm a scorer. This is what I do. I'm going to focus on that. But that's not what you do. What is it about defense right. that you love, or how would you describe your mentality on defense? Um, Honestly, just it just it just feels good to – to know that you're you're stopping someone else from trying to score because I mean everyone that's what's glamour these days you know everyone just wants to be a scorer and you know not do the dirty work I mean if everyone's trying to score like I just I want to be the one that that's out there stopping them and I mean I, I can score as well but it's just not 
something that I really look too much into. I mean, because at the next level, everyone scores and whatnot. So um, every, they don't need another score. So I just, you know, look to help my team in any other way. Because, I mean, we have scores as well. So I know that's not my main role, even though it's something I can do. Just just taking pride in being a, a good defender and, and helping my team out when we're not getting stops and whatnot. Keon Ellis is joining us. Now, let's not get this twisted. You can score the ball, and you do. In the previous game, you had that massive three with less than a minute left to take the lead over number 14, Tennessee. What do you mm-hmm. remember about that moment? Um, I, I just know, I, I think my one of my teammates on the bench, um, he was telling me just, just to shoot the next one is, is going to go in. And I shot one before that, and I hit that one. So I had a little momentum going into that one, and I think they had jumped in a zone uh, on that last shot, and I knew once I seen JQ come off the screen, I just I had enough space, so I knew he was going to swing it to me, and I was just like, it, it's too much space, so I'm going to just shoot it again, and it dropped for me. So just, I don't know, <laughs> just trying to make the right place for my teammates. You did. Now, in terms of the team itself, you're only 14 games in, but you've already beaten mm-hmm. number three, Gonzaga, number 14, Houston, then then number 14, Tennessee as well. So you've got a really strong right. resume already. When you have the kind of year you had last season and then you follow it up with a start like this, what's that tell you about the ceiling or how good this team can be this year? Um, I think, you know, this team can can go as, as far as we we set our defense to. Um, like like you said, though, we play – We've played against, you know, the top of the top, and I think we've brought it against those teams. And, I mean, sometimes we'll, like the games we lost against Iona, like we maybe have dropped to the opponent's level. But on, uh, as you see, like like you said, last year and some of the wins we have this year, we're obviously capable of, you know, making a deep run in the tournament. So I think, you know, as long as we're just locked in every night, you know, um, just not taking anything for granted, you know, not looking at last year like, this year is promised to us. Um, we still got to, you know, go hard and practice, um, prepare for games the right way, and still go out and execute. So, um, I mean, just just knowing, like, we beat those teams and knowing what level they're at and what level we're at, we just have to, you know, try to stay at that level, and if not higher. So we just can't get complacent. Alabama guard Keon Ellis is joining us. In terms of complacency, I know your guy Nate Oates is not going to let that happen or do everything he can to make sure that doesn't happen. This is a big right. Nate Oates house. I got a lot of respect for him. I'm curious, what's what's he been like to play for? And, you know, he can be demanding, but obviously has your best interest at heart. What's it been like to uh, play for him so far? Um, he's he's going to coach you really hard. Uh, he's going to tell you everything, everything you need to know, never going to, never going to put you in a, a spot to not succeed, you know, so I mean, just, but he, he does coach hard, but it, it's all for the better, you know, it's not like, you know, he doesn't want you to succeed, so, I mean, like, he gets on us in practice, but it's obviously because, you know, he sees that we have a lot, a lot of ability in this game, and, you know, he has high hopes for us, so, and, you know, and anyone, you, you, you shouldn't want it any other way, I mean, if a coach is just, just letting you kind of do you, I think that's not, he doesn't really want what's best for you, and I think that's why he coaches us so hard. And he knows we can win at a high level, and it's just not going to get done by like going half speed or, or not giving max effort at all times. 
Yes, that's what I mean. I think he's good. he absolutely has your best interest in heart, but he's going to coach you hard now. Like, I'm curious. I There's a lot of examples that I could point to of what coaches and teammates have said about you, but they all hype you up for any number of reasons and things. I'm curious, when you get all the praise and you get all that hype from your coaches and teammates, do you feel like there's any pressure to deliver on all of that, or does it feel to you like this is the truth and people are just starting to wake up to it and this is just part of my responsibility? Um, honestly, I, I, a little bit of both. I mean, I know that I'm a good defender and people have high hopes for me. And then honestly, I, I mean, I wouldn't say there's too much pressure for where I'm scared that I won't deliver or whatnot. I just, I don't really think about that stuff. I mean, it's just basketball. Um, I'm going to go out there and go hard every night. Just, I just know that nobody's perfect. So, um, if I do mess up, you know, it's not the end of the world. Just, just try to correct it the next time, you know, um, and it's just basketball. So, I mean, you mess something up, uh, the game's not over. Uh, you just try to make up for it two times, you know, the next time down. Uh, so, just just knowing that my teammates and my coaches have a lot of faith in me, and I, I just try to keep that in the back of my head when I'm, when I'm out there. So, just try not to let them down because I know what I can bring to the table. So, Ken, really quickly, I think your mindset, your process, your approach, I think these things, the way, you're, the way you're answering these questions and the way you see these things are really, really impressive. Has it always been like this, or have you picked up on this the last couple of years? Like, how have you developed such a mindset and an approach? Um, the, yeah, this is, you know, uh, I've had a lot of good coaches in my uh, career and, you know, just talked with them. And then a lot of it, I mean, we had a great leader last year, Herb Jones. And I mean, I still talk to him to this day. So um, he still gives me a lot of, a lot of pointers and whatnot. And a lot of stuff that he told us last year about like the mental side of the game. Like he was never a guy to really get like, um, like too high or too low on any given like scenario that happened. So, I mean, he, he helped me with a lot of that. Herb, in fact, he was an absolute force last year. He was making the point that the first time he played pickup with you, quote, I left after the pickup game and I called my brother and told him, Keon Ellis, he got it, end of quote. So Herb, Herb saw that in you right away as well. Alabama guard Keon Ellis, my guest. Alabama is 11-3. and three. They're number 15 in the AP poll. They're at Missouri on Saturday. Keon, great to have you on the show. Really nice job by you and nice to talk to you. Thanks so much. No, thank you. Good night now!